Hey, why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 39 for our Jeremiah study. One thing about the Bible is that the characters of the Bible, God doesn't pull any punches um, with those people. Uh, that he talks about. You know, you think that the heroes of the Bible would all be these stained glass, pristine characters that are, you know, without sin. But as it turns out, David, who's one of the heroes of the Bible, was an adulterer and a murderer. And the Bible actually tells us the gory details of his failures. You know, we, we see that in some of these Bible characters. There's only a few, by the way, that go down sort of unscathed, even though they were sinners like us, they didn't get record of that. Daniel was one who went fairly unscathed. Also, Joseph of the Old Testament uh, was a guy that we don't really read about any of his sins. But really, other than that, pretty much everybody else, you see a record of their failure and shortcoming. Um, the reason that's important is, is, you know, we live in a culture where we can learn from people in history. Uh, but we're erasing people in history. That bastion of academic perfection, the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm glad that some of you laughed. Um, others of you are making me nervous. But um, <clears throat> yeah, the San Francisco crowd, did you see the article about what the schools are doing in San Francisco? While they're not instructing children in class, they do have time to uh, spend a lot of time renaming schools. They had a school board meeting where they unanimously voted that all the names of 44 of their schools are going to be changed. Why? Because they had names like you know, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and these are, you know, bad people in history, so we're gonna change the names of these schools. The funny part for me is somewhat of a history buff, and I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, but the San Francisco Chronicle said, we really reject these names and these people, um, and that's why the school board voted, and it's because we are really into the, 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 the life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And what they failed to see is that was Thomas Jefferson who wrote those words. Um, They need to cancel themselves for being stupid. Um, Here's the thing, no matter where you look in history, there's failure, sin, stupid people, uh, and, and instead of canceling them, wouldn't it be great if we actually say, let's learn from them. Let's, let's actually learn from history. If there's one thing we've learned from history is that we've learned nothing from history. And humanity just keeps spiraling mistakes, the same things over and over again. And I think current day, present day is no different. That's why the Bible is so important. And and when we study these old stories, one might say, well, the times of Jeremiah, 586 BC, who cares what happened in those days? And those people and the Babylonians, the Chaldeans and and Jeremiah and uh, these these, um, prophets and weirdos, what does that have to do with me? Well, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is um, for you and me. It was written for us. These stories are recorded for our learning, our admonition, our encouragement, but also our correction. And one of the things I wanna take a little bit of a step back and and look at the panoramic view of Jeremiah and maybe learn from some of the mistakes of the people of Jeremiah's day. That's what I wanna do. Rather than canceling and say, it's just a dark, gloomy story. Have you ever heard of somebody say, the Old Testament's just blood and guts? I don't like the Old Testament because it's got a bunch of blood and guts and stories of death and nations conquering and uh, you know, ethnic cleansing and all this stuff. And you'll hear people accuse the Old Testament of that stuff. But God recorded these stories in his word for you and me and man, I believe these are pertinent stories, important, important stories, and uh, hopefully we'll glean much. Uh, so why don't you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 39, um, where we will uh, pick up where we left off on Wednesday night. Jeremiah 39, chapter 39, verse one. And there it says, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, In the 10th month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. So that's the ninth year of Zedekiah. Verse two, and in the 11th year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. So pause just for a second, what's going on? Well, this is what Jeremiah said was gonna happen. For 40 years, Jeremiah the prophet was walking through Jerusalem, through the temple and all these places saying, you guys repent of your sins. The first half of his ministry, he said, repent. 
and the Lord will protect you and you'll be saved. But the people said, yeah, whatever. So his message started to change. The closer it got to the day of doom and his message became, okay, you guys are toast and there's no hope for you. Don't even pray because it's over. And that message was bleak and dark. And the people hated Jeremiah for it. And so they punched him in the face and they threw him in prison. And we learned on Wednesday night in one of the five times poor Jeremiah was imprisoned. Uh, the last one that we read about where they lowered him with ropes down into this dungeon. And as they lowered him, his feet sank into the mud that was down at the bottom of this dungeon. Josephus, the ancient historian we learned on Wednesday night, talks about how he sunk in the mud up to his neck and there he was just sitting in prison, neck deep in mud. That's a pretty rough day at the office, if you ask me. <laughs> Poor Jeremiah, but Jeremiah was just speaking the truth. They hated him for it. And now chapter 39 is where we pick it up and we say, wow, isn't it something that the word of the Lord came to pass? How would they have felt Let's read on and check this out. And by the way, you know, picture the scene. So in, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, uh, his reign, they besieged Jerusalem, that has surrounded it and made them stuck there. It was the 11th year uh, and they give the month. So it was just over two years, the people of Jerusalem were trapped in the city. And we know what happened during that time. They were starving. They were walking skeletons in Jerusalem. So bad was it that they resorted to cannibalism in Jerusalem. It was a horrific, terrible time. But on this second verse here, on the, uh, you know, the, the uh, 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the city breaks up. That means the walls are broken down and now the Babylonians are coming in. What must that have been like? Check it out, verse, verse three. So all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, even Nirgal Sherezer and Shamgar Nebo, Sarshikim, Rabsaris, and Nirgalshirizer, Rabmag, and all the residue of the princes of the kings of Babylon. Oh, these, these guys' names, they're, they're hard enough to pronounce, let alone picture what these dudes look like walking in their Babylonian garments as they walk in, and they own the town now. And these Jews that are walking skeletons, seeing their city taken over, I wonder if it was like that 9-11 moment Remember what you were doing if you're old enough when we saw the planes fly into the Twin Towers in New York? And a lot of you remember what you were doing when you saw that or heard that. And it was a surreal moment. Come on, is this, did somebody make a fake video as we watched these jetliners plow into the buildings there in New York? It was such a surreal moment. Could it be that, you know, Jeremiah had been these, telling these people for, for 40 years, this is gonna happen, now it's happening. And these Babylonians crushed Jerusalem, crush the temple in Jerusalem, and these people know they're just toast and they're gonna die. What a surreal moment. But then it says in verse four, and it came to pass that when Zedekiah, the king of Judah saw them and all the men of war, when then they fled and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls. And he, Zedekiah, went out of the way into the plain, but the Chaldeans, the army, pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamat, where he gave judgment upon him. Then king, the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Riblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. A dark day in Jerusalem and man, the gruesomeness of it. Zedekiah had been warned by Jeremiah. Jer Jeremiah told Zedekiah, man, break off your sins, repent. No, I'm not gonna do that. And Zedekiah rebelled against Jeremiah's word. And Jeremiah even said, you're gonna be hauled off to Babylon and your eyes are gonna get poked out and your sons are gonna be killed. Yeah, whatever. Now the moment's come. The last thing Zedekiah sees with his perfectly healthy eyes is his sons being slaughtered brutally. And then they poke out his eyes. Nice little bedtime story for you parents. You can read your children uh, as you're tucking them in at night. Uh, no, this is the one you probably didn't color in Sunday school. 
what's that red stuff coming out of that guy's eyes? Mommy, that's where his eyes were poked out. Okay, so I know it's a gruesome story. I understand, I get that. But when you have a gruesome story in the Bible, uh, it's there for a reason. We should be horrified by this. But it, it should make us think, man, what was it that brought the people to this moment of such horrific behavior? And, and can we avoid that? Now, some of you might say, yeah, but we're not living in Jerusalem and we don't have Babylon. Well, can I just tell you that there's something even worse coming? See, the Bible is this amazing book that shows Old Testament stories and pictures that teach us about New Testament truths. And there's always some story or issue that's related. And especially as it relates to Bible prophecy and especially as it relates to God's wrath and judgment. Um, do you know that not just Jeremiah, but the Bible has been telling us for millennia, not 40 years, but for millennia, the Bible's been telling us there's a day coming where God is gonna judge this world and he's gonna pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting, sinful world. That day's coming. In the days of Noah, similarly, the, the Lord was speaking and said, Noah, I'm gonna destroy the earth and all the people on the earth. And for a hundred years, there was Noah building this ark. It took him a hundred years, just a hundred years. Of course, that was the antediluvian world, you know, where people lived longer. And, but, but for a hundred years, people were like, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. What's a boat? It's a thing that floats on water. Uh, rain comes down and it'll make it float. What's rain? See, they, didn't, they were living in the desert. They didn't have rain. It, wasn't, it was a different deal. Um, but all that to say, 100 years, and finally Noah gets on the ark and all these animals climb on the ark and the people are like, what's going on here? And then drop, drop. I wonder what happened when those, they felt the first raindrops. And the, what? Noah's been talking about this for 100 What did he say was gonna happen? And then really hard rain and then water gushing from the earth. And eventually they're, they're starting to tread water and eventually they're gonna drown. That surreal moment, that 9-11 moment when you realize it's happening. That's what happened here with Jeremiah. That's what happened with Noah's day. And the Bible says, like the days of Noah, the end times will be just the same. When the end of the world comes, and that'll be the big one. Jeremiah's thing, child's play. Even the Noah flood is gonna be uh, not, not anything like what the end of the world's gonna be. And so you say, Brad, well, this is encouraging. I brought grandma today and you're, you're suddenly this fire and brimstone preacher. Um, thanks, it's depressing. Can we go now? Oh, but not before we actually say, Lord, help us to not be like the people of Jeremiah's day who just blew off God's word. See, when Jeremiah was speaking the word, like we learned last week, it was the word of God. Remember, they, they took the word and cut it up with a knife and threw it in the fire, the scroll that Jeremiah had written down. Same thing people are doing today with the word, oh, I don't like that page of the Bible, as they throw it out and burn it up. Remember we talked about that last week. So, so what is the condition of these people? Well, the first problem really, um, I think before we get into, I've got some, some things I wanna hope, hopefully we can learn from, but I wanna remind you about God's word and what God knows. It's Isaiah chapter 46, verses nine through 10. You can jot it down in your notes there, um, where it says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. Um, do you see what Isaiah the prophet's saying of God? God is different than any other false God. What makes God different than Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, Allah? What, what makes God different? I'll tell you what's different. God is the only one, the true God, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The difference is, Isaiah says, he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. This is what we would call prophecy. God speaks in his words, says, here's what's gonna come down. Most of the prophetic things that have been spoken of in the Bible have already come to pass. Miraculously, amazingly, exactingly. Like, you know, um, uh, it's so funny, uh, I remember in college, uh, there was a guy who was quoting this ancient historian. Um, I went to a secular school and uh, my college professor was making this claim, the book of Daniel, Daniel is actually a forgery. 
And we know that Porphyry, who is this ancient historian, Porphyry says that uh, Daniel was actually written in 90 AD rather than several hundred years before Christ. You know, the book of Daniel claims to have been written, you know, several hundred years before Christ, but it's actually 90 AD. And, and Porphyry uh, notes that, and he was, he just, but the, here's the funny thing. I was, fortunately, um, as, a, as a kid who loved the Bible at 18 or whatever, I was able to ask the question, well, wait a minute. Um, Porphyry says the, the book of Daniel was written in 90 AD. And, and I said, do you know, when was the Septuagint written? And this professor said, well, you know, somewhere around 270, you know, BC. Well, question, was the book of Daniel in the Septuagint? Uh, yeah. Then how could it have been written in 90 AD if it was in the Septuagint? And any, uh, you know, academic scholar knows that the dating of the Septuagint is not even in question. We know that it's at least almost 300 years before Christ came. See, the reason Porphyry and other, you know, so-called scholars want to make Daniel a forgery is here's what their claim is. Daniel speaks of future events and there's no way Daniel could have known that that was going to go down. So we have to post-date it. We have to say it was much later in time. And, and here's the funny thing. Uh, you know, if you remember Daniel chapter two, God spoke through Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel interpreted it. And he said, after the Babylonians will come the Medes and the Persians. And after the Medes and the Persians will come Alexander the Great. He didn't name Alexander, but he said, you know, uh, this, this um, you know, the Alexander, the, the Greeks would come, and after the Greeks would then come these two legs of a Roman empire, East and West Rome. And, and all this stuff was exactingly prophesied. So the Bible cynic says, there's no way Daniel could have known that, so it's a forgery. See, as we as Bible believers, we say, well, actually God knows the beginning from the end, and he, from ancient times, he told us the things that have not yet been done. God speaks the future in his word. Hello, that's what he claims to do. And, and so it's funny because you can prove easily that the book of Daniel is at least as old as the Greek translation of the, and by the way, guess who quoted from the book of Daniel? Jesus. I love how Jesus quoted from the most controversial Old Testament books, the ones that all the scholars, uh, you know, say, well, it's not a real book and it's a fake. And, and, you know, just a simple question I like to ask some of these people that claim, well, the book of Daniel, even so-called Bible scholars say, book of Daniel is a forgery. Well, Jesus quoted from the book of Daniel. Do you know more about the book of Daniel than Jesus? And most so-called Bible scholars won't say, well, I know more about Daniel than Jesus, but that's what they're claiming. Now, the reason I, I harp on this prophecy issue is because um, when the Bible claims that God knows the beginning or the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, the idea is he, he's gonna say what's gonna happen in the future. So Jeremiah, the whole book, Jeremiah for 40 years is saying, here's what's coming down the pike. The Babylonians are gonna crush the city. You know, and, and, uh, and he, he, first half of his ministry preached, repent of your sins and God will save you. But the last half of his ministry turned from, uh, you're all toast and you need to surrender to the Babylonians or you'll be dead. Your bones will be lying on the hills of Jerusalem picked by the birds of the air. Like it was pretty you know, powerful prophecies. Now with that in mind, we then look at the people and why would they not listen to Jeremiah? We saw last week, Jeremiah punched the face, lowered into dungeon. We saw last week how Jeremiah, they, they made fun of him. We saw how even at the very end, as the Babylonians are surrounding the city of Jerusalem, they're like, yeah, whatever. We still don't wanna to listen to Jeremiah. What makes it so hard for a person to believe God's word? In the same way that um, people of Jeremiah's day just blew it off and got caught, unready, un ill-prepared for the Babylonians, the same way I'm concerned of the church today, as we have the same condition, the way these people were, we do the same things. So when a guy like me comes and says, well, the, the Bible says the end of the world is coming. Oh, Brett, get yourself a sandwich board and join all the other people down there in Portland and, and protest with your sign, the end is near, you'll fit right in. But you know what's interesting is that's the attitude of Jeremiah's people. Jeremiah, you're a wacko. Stop telling us about what's gonna happen in the future. Why is it that people resist not only the things the Lord tells uh, his people and warns us of, but specifically the issues that relate to God's judgment? So what's gonna happen? The Bible tells us that at the end days of the world, 
The Lord's gonna pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That time's still coming. It's a seven-year period specifically. The day of the Lord begins, I believe, with the rapture of the church and then the seven-year period called the tribulation period. And then after the tribulation, Christ returns, the second coming of Christ. And that's where he rules and reigns and, and the world is gonna be changed uh, so much better at that point. Good news for that. But this tribulation period, it's something that's very real. And there's gonna come a day that's gonna be that 9-11 moment, that day when the Babylonians march into Jerusalem, that day when the people of Noah felt the first raindrop on their head. That day's coming, but it's gonna be more cataclysmic than any of those other days when the, the, the book of Revelation starts coming to life. The tribulation period. Why is it that people are unwilling to listen? Well, there's, there's six things I wanna look at. And you can jot them down in your notes, but number one, some people are just simply delusional. Brett, are you trying to be insulting? No, I'm being honest. Uh, this idea of delusional. If you look up the word delusional in Webster's, it says, characterized by holding incorrect beliefs or impressions that are contradicted by reality or rational argument, typically as a symptom of mental disorder. Brett, are there really people that are holding incorrect beliefs that contradict reality? Well, see, here's the thing. The reality is, like I said, most of Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. Reality is, wow, God knows what he's talking about. And I could go over hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled by the, the Bible's uh, foreknowledge, God's prophetic ability. We could talk about how God said about the nation Israel, I, I'm gonna scatter my people all over the world as, a, as a, a correction, a punishment. But then I'm gonna, in the last days, in the latter times, the Bible says, I'm gonna regather my people and I'm gonna reestablish the nation Israel and I'm gonna make of them a mighty nation. May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation again after being scattered for a couple thousand years, people just should have said, okay, we believe the Bible. Who could have predicted that so perfectly? And then, not only that, the Bible says in the last days, many nations will hate Israel and they'll surround Israel and they'll, they'll hate Israel. Check, check, and check. And then it's, it talks about a war that's yet to happen. Uh, Ezekiel 38, the Gog-Magog invasion that talks about these nations and we could get into all the nations. But basically what's amazing is right now as we speak, those nations are sitting right on the border of Israel. Did you see just last week, the Israelis are beefing up their army on the Northern Golan Heights. They haven't had their armies up there for a long time. Why are they doing that? Well, as it turns out, the Iranians continue to send troops up to Syria and Russia's there and others, but um, basically Russia, Iran, and other nations, even Turkey's getting into the game there in Syria and stuff. But what's amazing is in Ezekiel 38, in the last days, the nations, the players that are listed there are all postured right up on the northern border of Israel. And it says in Ezekiel 38, they'll be drawn down from the north, like a, with a hook in her jaw to bring Russia particularly down into Israel and they'll attack Israel. You can totally see how that stage is set. That could happen tomorrow, and it really wouldn't take a lot to, to, to make that happen, you know, strategically, militarily. The reason the Israelis have been defending the Golan Heights is because of the possibility of invasion. And, and these are Bible prophecies that were given to us thousands of years ago, and yet it gives us evidence that the reality is we're living in the last days. And some people say, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna believe that reality, even though the, what a coincidence that all these things the Bible has said is coming to pass right before our eyes. You can call that a coincidence, I call it a god wince God knew what was gonna happen and he told us the beginning from the end, things that have not yet happened. It's prophecy. So here's Jeremiah saying, you guys, the Babylonians are coming. And they said, yeah, whatever. Well, then the Babylonians came and surrounded Jerusalem. And he said, okay, the Babylonians are here and you guys are going down. Yeah, whatever. We don't believe you, Jeremiah. Now, now, now they're delusional because everything Jeremiah, do you remember the earlier prophets that we read about earlier? They said, oh, Babylon's only gonna be here for a while. They're gonna leave in two years, we'll be at peace with Babylon. Remember those prophets that were making that claim? Well, those two years have come and gone. The facts are on Jeremiah's side and yet the people are delusional. They're resisting what's happening right in front of their eyes because they just don't wanna believe that Jeremiah was right. So Jeremiah, if you'll turn the page back to chapter 37 
uh, we re were reminded of, uh, of how delusional they were. Look at Jeremiah 37, verse 19. It says there in, uh, pardon me, 37, 17. It says, then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah out of prison there. And the king asked him secretly in his house. Now question, why do you think Zedekiah, the king's asking Jeremiah secretly, secretively? He doesn't want people to know that he actually cares about what Jeremiah has to say. He doesn't wanna you know, be outed as, Jeremiah, has the Lord got anything to say to us now? He wants to ask that question, but he wants to do it in secret. So he secretly calls Jeremiah and says, uh, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, there is. For said he, thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. <laughs> Bad news. So, so it says, verse 18, moreover, Jeremiah said to the king Zedekiah, what have I offended against thee or against your servants or against this people that you have put me in prison? Where are now your prophets which prophesied unto you saying, the king of Babylon shall not come against you nor against this land. Do you see Jeremiah, he's saying, Zedekiah, you know, I've been telling you this for 40 years and then you threw me in prison. Now you wanna know what the Lord's saying? You wanna know what the Lord's saying? You're toast. Why did you throw me in prison? And where are those prophets that were telling you all the, oh, it's gonna be wonderful and you're gonna live victoriously against those Babylonians. And see, I gotta tell you, and I know I harp on this, but this is a really bad situation. The church of Jesus Christ is, I think in modern days, where it's really hip and popular right now to have a church and a pastor that only talks about victory. It's all gonna be great. Things are wonderful and things are getting better and awakening the giant within you and you're a good person and people like you. Um, can I just say, um, there's some truth in that. The Lord is gracious and he is good. And man, I love talking about his mercy and I like talking about heaven. And I love talking about when Christ comes and rules and reigns on this earth because we will live in victory and, and we live in victory because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, I will preach that till the cows come home or till the rapture of the church. But, but I also have to teach the rest of the Bible. You see, Joel Osteen there in Texas, he only talks about nice things. People like you and you're gonna be victorious and you're gonna be wealthy like me and everything's gonna be amazing. <laughs> That's his message. There's nothing about sin. There's nothing about hell. He leaves out huge chunks of the Bible. You will not hear Joel Osteen teach the whole Bible of Jeremiah. He'll pull a few verses out where Jeremiah talks about how, you know, um, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He'll teach on that part, but he won't talk about chapter 37 or 38 or 39 because it's about the doom and the wrath of God and judgment and the way the people got totally crushed. That's not a good message for Sirius Satellite Network. But see, if you're an honest Bible reader, you're forced to deal with this issue of God's wrath. It's something that's real. And some people are delusional. They just plug their ears, la, 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 la. I don't wanna hear about that part. I only wanna hear about the fun stuff. That's the people of Jeremiah's day. Um, in fact, back up to chapter 37, uh, verse nine. See what it says there. In Jeremiah 37, nine, it says, thus saith the Lord, this is Jeremiah talking to people, Deceive not yourselves, saying the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. Remember, the words of Jeremiah is the word of the Lord in this case. This is like God's word. You might even say it's like the Bible because it became the Bible. So here's Jeremiah saying, don't tell yourselves, don't deceive yourselves. That's all gonna be good. We're gonna be full of hope and have victory because that just wasn't true. By the way, when you hear these sermons from pastors, it's all gonna be rosy and good and you're gonna be wealthy and healthy and, and all this stuff. The reason I reject that teaching because there's still a lot of people in the world that will never happen in this lifetime. I mean, think about Jesus. Was he living victoriously in the way that some of these pastors talk about it? Did he have lots of friends and were they faithful friends? Was he wealthy? Was he healthy? Was everything good? Or was he betrayed by everyone? Was he despised and rejected? And did he have nails in his hands and feet and die on the cross for the sins of the world? Now, the good news is he rose from the grave and did what he claimed he would do. But you might argue that in this lifetime, he didn't live a great victorious life. Paul the apostle, beaten up many times, left for dead a few times. 
bitten by a deadly uh, viper, and then also uh, was shipwrecked many times and left to die several times. Paul was just always going through suffering. Was he living the Joel Osteen Christianity that is promised by, you know, prosperity gospel? No. In fact, pretty much everyone in the Bible ends up being kind of persecuted. And Jesus said, man, all who live godly in Christ will suffer. This is a promise of what the Bible says. But this is really getting depressing. Well, the problem is some of us become delusional when we want to believe something that's just not true. And for people to think that it's all good right now and everything's wonderful, um, there's whole churches and denominations that have kind of gone this way and it's just not the truth. The Bible says the closer we get to the end, the more crazy times we'll get. And that's what we're seeing happen. We're seeing the times get crazier and crazier. And people that are delusional, delusional, you know, it's interesting because this idea of delusional, um, I have to say, uh, it, it's, it's something we've seen coming for a long time. Delusional, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's basically people think that somehow they're the exception and it's not gonna happen the way the Bible says. But after people are delusional, there's another warning. Number two, not only some people are delusional, but some people are also in denial. And for those of you that were Public school, denial's not a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial? Yeah, they're denying that what Jeremiah was gonna say is gonna happen. Uh, why do they be in denial? Well, flip back to Jeremiah chapter five. Let's review. We did a whole sermon on this a few months ago, if you recall, but this is just a refresher. Uh, Jeremiah chapter five, verse 30. And there in Jeremiah 5, verse 30, it says, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. Remember we talked about this? It means not wonderful, like, oh, wonderful, it's great. Like, it's full of wonder how horrible this is. That's the idea what the King James is saying there. So a horrible thing has happened. Verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? When, when this all comes down, what are you gonna do? That's what Jeremiah says. And, and, and what's going on? The people love to hear things that are false. They don't wanna hear what's true. They like it that way. That's what it says here. See, some people are in denial of Jeremiah's words just because they love to hear positive messaging. Oh, just be positive. Don't be so negative. Be a positive thinker. I honestly have not been great at that. I think it was my upbringing, maybe my life experience, but I tend to think in sometimes negative terms because I like to be a problem solver. I tend to be sort of a realist. I tend to be more of a logical person. And so I like to logically think of how, what's gonna happen next and how we're gonna make it through this. And the Bible gives us all of that that you need. Some people don't like that. Um, like when I tell the story of my basketball team in high school, when I was a freshman and sophomore, some of you know this. Um, we were a famous team. We, we, were, we were so famous, our basketball team, we made the front page of USA Today. At the time, that was a newspaper. They used to have these things called papers. And Anyway, but I was on the front page with my team, and the reason why is we were the losingest team in the nation. We hadn't won a basketball game for three years. It was a horrible thing. So can you imagine how my coaches must have felt as we're in the locker room before game? Okay, you guys, now go out there and you're gonna win. Because we're all saying, uh, no, we're not. <laughs> you could be positive to your blue in the face, but we are not gonna win this game. Uh, but that's why you were such losers. Nope, we were realists. <laughs> um, you know, it's a funny thing uh, because um, all that to say, um, one of the things we need to say is this world We've got work to do, we can be Christians and we can look for good things and be rejoiced in the good things, but we have to understand where this world is going according to the Bible. And we can sit around and say, no, Brett, don't say that. We're gonna save the environment. No, you're not. Read Second Peter. It says the environment's gonna melt with a fervent, fervent heat and this world ultimately will be destroyed. Brett, you sound like you're into global warming. I am, it's gonna melt <laughs> like this, poof. It's gonna be gone. Um, you environmentalists, you know, instead of hugging a tree, do trees really like being hugged? That's a question I would ask. <laughs> you can be hugged by a stinky hippie 
Or what's the real solution for trees? You know, the Bible says about trees, it says when Christ returns in the millennial kingdom, all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. No more stinky hippies <laughs> hugging me, but God is here and he's gonna bring, see the world is in a fallen state and it's getting worse and worse. And that's what the Bible says. Now, should we just trash our planet because of that? No, the Bible says we're supposed to be good stewards of our planet. So I'm pro that. But we have to also understand where things are headed. But Brett, I don't like that. La, 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 la. I don't wanna hear that the world is gonna be destroyed. Doesn't matter what you like, you're in denial. You're saying that the Bible's wrong and that we can somehow save the earth, but the Bible says no. Interesting. Some people are in just plain and simple denial. You know, uh, this happened in recent years we've seen in the last few decades, you know, it's become more common for people to simultaneously believe in two opposite ideas as being equally true. It's called relativism. We're into that. Well, if it's true for you, great, but it may not be true for me. Have you heard people say stuff like that? And it's gotten us into this sort of strange world, you know? Um, we've redefined the word truth. Truth doesn't mean truth anymore. Truth is just what's true to you. It might not be true to you, but it's true to me and, and all this stuff. Um, and so it's really been tricky. And I think we're creating ourselves, uh, for ourselves, uh, all kinds of problems in the future. So today, um, is it true? Are you a boy or a girl? Well, it depends on your truth. But biologically, you're a boy. No, 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 I'm a girl because I think I'm a girl. And, that, and so we've accepted that, we've embraced this. Even though logically, biologically, scientifically, we say, no, 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 you're, you were born with, with um, biological male you know, DNA, it's who you are. Nope, I like to think of myself as a girl. So as people have embraced that, now we've got the issue, did you see one of the executive orders that was signed just even a week or so ago, where now you know, it's opening up even more so men can compete, biological men, can compete in women's athletics. And it's so tragic because you know, they showed on the news this one lady who holds a world record in the 100 meters, an amazingly talented woman who should be esteemed and celebrated, she's an amazing woman. The problem now that boys can compete, well, the, her world record has been beaten by over 200 high school boys. So what's gonna happen in this day of relativism is we're gonna cancel women altogether. Do women understand what's going on here? I hope women understand what's going on. We're canceling women because th that record doesn't mean anything anymore because we're gonna have men's biological who think they're girls competing with girls and, and the confusion start, everything starts getting foggy and muddied up and we're wondering, well, what do we do about that? And we wonder why we're in such peril. We have denied the truth. Brad, well, what does the Bible say about transgenderism? As it turns out, the Bible does say a lot about this. Both God in the book of Genesis and Jesus in the gospel of Mark said, God created them male and female. Male and female did he create them. And, and some might say, well, Brett, there are some biological people that have happened in history that um, you know, have different biological makeup that's even, well, listen, that's such a tiny, tiny fraction. It's always funny how people try to make a case for something huge that is a tiny example of genetic mutation that actually is also a result of the fallen condition of the world. But all that to say, some people just say, I don't wanna hear it, we're in denial, we're gonna do it the way we want it. Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition defines truth as the state of being the case. That is the case or that is not the case. In other words, if something's true, then it cannot also be false at the same time and vice versa, um, which agrees with scripture. By the way, the scriptures tell us God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So truth. It's amazing that God says, I'm truth. Jesus says, I'm truth. And then in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, and God cannot deny himself the truth. Um, the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics and logic, that all stems from truth. And without which the world becomes crazy and makes no sense. So truth is ex ex inherently exclusive. And see, that's the problem. The people of Jeremiah's day, they had the truth right in front of them where the Babylonians were finally coming and Jeremiah's truth had come to pass, but they were still saying, it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen. No way, we don't believe this. 
So you got some people are delusional in Jeremiah's day, same with our day. Some people are in denial. Number three, some people think it's delayed. They might say, well, we, we believe the Babylonians might be coming, and, but it's way off in the future. Why worry about it today when we can worry about it tomorrow? Let's procrastinate today so that we can procrastinate tomorrow. Like, it's a funny thing where some people are just more delay. You know, um, the Bible says when Jesus was asked about the end of the world, he was talking about at the end of Matthew 24, he said, the wicked servant just kind of says, oh, the Lord's delaying his coming. The Lord actually calls that wickedness. When you say, ah, it's not gonna happen in our day. Um, I love it when people come up to me and say, Pastor Brett, you know, you're into Bible prophecy, but you know what? I've been around, you've been preaching about the end times for the last 25 years. You've been doing your prophecy updates for 25 years here at Athey Creek. And I say, yeah, I'm just getting started. <laughs> Jeremiah gave his prophecy updates for 40 years. And they said, oh, Jeremiah, where are the Babylonians? And, and so when people go and say, Brett, where's the rapture of the church? Where's the end? I don't see it coming. I rejoice. And you want to know why I rejoice? Because I say to them, you know what? You're fulfilling Bible prophecy as we speak. When you scoff and mock uh, those that say the Lord could come back soon. Well, well, why am I fulfilling Bible prophecy? Well, it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. You guys know this passage, many of you, where it says this. Know this, 2 Peter 3, 3. That first there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking in their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, you know, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water, the people perished. What's, what's Peter saying? It's just like the days of Noah. People say, where is the promise of his coming? And, and he says, like today, where's the flood? And the, Noah's weird. He's been drinking his bathwater. What a goofy guy building a big ship. Stupid. That mocking that comes in the last days, guess what? The Lord says, that's, that is the last days. When more and more men mock, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, they're kept in store, reserved for fire to the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Again, a scripture you'll never hear Joel Osteen talk about. I'm not just trying to pick on Joel Osteen. He's just one of the biggest pastors in America that has this, this feel-good message that's really not the gospel. It's just more of a pep talk or a motivational speech or something like that. But it's, it's not really the, the, the full counsel of God. And here, Peter's given us the whole thing. But some people say, oh, Brett, where is the promise? It's not gonna happen but that's what they said as the Babylonians marched into their city, crushed their temple and killed their family members in their very front of their very eyes. They thought he was gonna, it was gonna be delayed. Some of you might say, Brad, I'll get my act together spiritually. I've been hearing you and I've been you know, following Christianity, but I'm gonna wait and kind of see. And, but I, I believe that's a dangerous position to take because when you Think not. The Bible says it's an hour when you think not. That's when the Lord is going to come. And it's going to be like, to some people, a, th a thief coming in the nighttime when you least expect it. That's the language of the Bible. <clears throat> so some people think it's delayed. Number uh, four on our list, some people are distracted. We're too busy to worry about the last days. Man, I got a career to worry about. I can't worry about the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, and judgment being poured out across Christ-rejecting sinful world. Brother, there's too much to worry about. The problem is so many times we're distracted that we're not really ready for what's actually coming. They were distracted in, in Jeremiah's day. Um, it, it's an interesting thing because it really reminds me of um, what Jesus was talking about, the way that Jeremiah's people, remember, remember the slave issue that we studied uh, in Jeremiah where the people, they, the Lord said, you need to set your slaves free. And so they, the Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem. They said, okay, okay, we're gonna sur surrender our slaves. They let him go. And then the Babylonians got distracted because they got attacked by Pharaoh Necho, this guy down from Egypt. And so the Babylonians left Jerusalem and went to battle with Pharaoh Necho. So the people said, hey, get our Jews. The Jews said, let's get our slaves back. So they got their slaves back and said, yeah, whatever, Jeremiah. You caused us to be afraid for 10 seconds. And then as soon as Pharaoh Necho, that battle's over, guess what? The Babylonians recapture Jerusalem 
and this is the one that's gonna end up destroying them. The people were distracted with their, their stuff and their lives and, and so much so that they were just doing sinful stuff that they could care less with God. Think, oh, God doesn't want us to have slaves? Whatever, we're gonna have slaves. And we're gonna work our farms, and we're gonna do our careers and we're gonna live in prosperity at other people's peril. But who cares? That was, they were distracted by the cares of this world. And that's what Jesus talked about. Remember the parable of the sower of the seed that Jesus told about in Mark 4? Of the four conditions of soil. Remember, the sower is Jesus giving us his word, the seed. And the seed falls on the soil, and the soil is men's hearts. And what kind of soil do you have in your heart? You know, there's the stony soil or the, the shallow soil or the, the birds of the air plucking up. But one of those conditions was there were th- uh, thorns sown with the other good seed. So thorn bushes and good seed growing up together. And Jesus interpreted and said, here's what that means. Mark 4, 18, he said, these are the seeds which were sown among thorns, such as hear the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. How does the word of God become unfruitful in your life? By you letting the word be choked out um, by the cares of this world. Our jobs, our careers, what we're doing, how busy, how shockingly busy we find ourselves. And, and, And before too long, we're all only into our thing and our life and our career. And meanwhile, the Lord's saying, prepare, be ready. Watch, wait, be the servant that's not distracted, but watching for the Lord. And I believe that much of the church, we've become very distracted by other things, prosperity, our own happiness and our wealth. That's not what we should be up for. Hey, if God's blessed you with wealth, great. But don't let that wealth choke out the truth of the word of God. Some people were just plain old distracted. And because they weren't willing to let go of their interests, they found themselves crushed and they were shocked when it happened. In Africa, there's these little monkeys that they like to harvest. And uh, they're really hard to catch, I guess. They're really fast, quick, smart. But they figured out a way to easily catch these monkeys. And the way they do it is they take a coconut and they cut it carefully in half and then they empty out all the insides. And they cut a little hole in the end of the coconut and then they kind of glue it all back together with a rope tied to this coconut and then they tie the coconut and the rope to a tree. In the coconut, however, they put this fresh little orange and they'd poke the orange so that the fragrance of the orange was very, you know, powerful. And so this little orange inside the coconut, rope and a tree, that's all they need. Why? Because the unsuspecting little monkey, the sweet fragrance of an orange. And the little monkey runs up to the the coconut and sticks his little paw or whatever hand in this little hole and and grabs the orange and tries to pull it out. But with its hand around the orange, it can't reach, it can't pull it out of the hole. Then the hunter walks up to the monkey and the monkey's so determined not to let go of the orange, he's as good as tied. And the hunter comes and takes and brings the monkey to everlasting destruction. Um, Brett, that's a horrible story. We like monkeys. <laughs> are you smarter than a monkey? Am I smarter than a monkey? Because I think some of us are clinging to our little thing, our, our wealth and our careers and our portfolio financially and all this stuff. And meanwhile, the Lord's saying, man, don't set your affections on things of this earth, but on things above. Have the heavenly mindset. Some people are just plain old distracted so they don't care what's going down around them. And because of that, they're caught unaware. Number five, some people are just plain old defiant. Uh, it reminds me of Jeremiah 36, 23. Do you remember that, that thing I referred to earlier where it says, came to pass when Jehudi, who? Jehudi. <laughs> when Jehudi read the three of four leaves, which was the Bible, the scroll that Jeremiah and Baruch had written, remember last week? Um, he cut it with the penknife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed. Some people plain old to say, the Bible, yeah, we hate it. We're gonna reject it. And we're defiant against what the Bible teaches. God forbid there's anybody here today who's lived a defiant life against God. Well, Brad, I just happen to not believe in God. Yes, you do. 
No, I don't. Yes, you do. The Bible tells us something. And again, if you don't believe the Bible, you can disagree with me and disagree with the Bible if you want to be wrong. But the Bible says that no one's going to have an excuse. Well, I didn't know God really existed. No, you were defiant against the, the evidence of God. And in Romans chapter one, I'll just read it really quickly to you because we're running out of time. But in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 23, listen, listen as I read, listen closely. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the same thing we've been talking about all morning, pushing down the truth so nobody can hear it. For what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul lays it out as clear as it could be. There's no such thing as a person who doesn't believe in God. Um, I don't believe in atheists. Because the Bible says that you know in your heart and, and, and it says that even the invisible things of God are clearly seen. How are they clearly seen? The creation. Well, Brad, I just don't believe that. I don't believe in creation. I believe in evolution. See, this is where it gets really crazy to me. Which one takes more faith to believe in evolution versus creation? Brad, are you kidding me? You believe that God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the sun into existence. Let there be light. Brrr, the sun pops out there. Is that what you believe? Yep. And you believe God created that in six days and on the seventh day rested, like the Bible says? Yep, I believe that. Well, that takes faith. It does. But which one takes more faith? Does it take more faith to believe that there's a God who pre-existed and was always in existence? That's what we believe. That's what the Bible says. He always was. So we start with God in all existence. Well, Brad, I don't even know how that works. Well, of course, if, if he's God, he lives outside of our brain power and our ability to understand the physics around God. I'm okay with that. But God who preexisted created the heavens and the earth. That does take faith. But does it take more faith to believe that something created something and made it beautiful versus nothing became something and became beautiful? You, 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 if you're evolution, you believe nothing was there. Well, Brad, there were gases that collided and then those gases, they collided and it created this big boom, this explosion. Question, where did the gases come? Were there these two giant space cows that had flatulence? And suddenly, you know, er, er, is that what happened? Like that takes faith. You gotta have crazy faith to believe that there were just accidental, and, and, then, and then not only the accidental, the explosion, but then there was this little puddle of goo, prebiotic soup. And in that prebiotic soup, there was a strike of lightning that breathed life into a living cell and it became something that grew legs. It took billions and billions of years, you see. I would say not in a billion years. From goo to you, that's a leap of faith. I'm not, well, some of you may be a little easier to believe, but from goo to you, I, I just don't have that kind of faith. That's crazy, crazy, crazy faith. No, Brad, it's science. No, it's called the theory of evolution because it's only a theory. And by the way, if you really are astute, you'll notice science is jumping ship. Science, real scientists, not Christian people, these are scientists saying, you know what, this evolutionary theory, if we're gonna be really honest, the math doesn't work out, even if you give it billions of years. So they're exploring other origins and options and stuff like that. There's, there's some real work being done on this because they know that it doesn't hold water. But see, that's why, you know, evolution versus creation, that's, that's ground zero when it comes to your faith because Romans says the one thing that you cannot deny is the creation that's out there that speaks of the glory of God. And if you're one saying, I don't wanna believe that, you're one of these defiant ones. And the problem with being defiant is that when you're speaking about the truth and God, you're defying the true and living God. And the future of that is pictured in this Old Testament story, which is hor horrible. The destruction of Jerusalem, the, 
the slaughtering of these people. And that's where defiance gets us. Well, Brett, this is really depressing. And I'm, I, this just confirms why I don't like God and I don't like the Bible and I don't like God's people because of all this doom and gloom and blood and guts and judgment and wrath and Christ rejecting sinful world and God judge. I don't like all that stuff. Well, you know, there's some people, and this will be my final point of the day. Some people, they're not just defiant, but they're, they're delighted. Some people are delighted. Who's delighted? Well, if you read the book of Jeremiah, sprinkled throughout this horrific book of destruction and doom, sprinkled throughout, have you noticed that Jeremiah would say stuff like, but if you repent of your sins, I will forgive you of all your sins and I will cleanse you from unrighteousness. And, I will rem- and, and he goes on and says, and I, 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 I have not have thoughts for you that are thoughts of evil, but thoughts of peace to bring you, to you an expected end, a future and a hope as one of the translations say. See, Jeremiah was saying that if you repent of your sin and turn to God and, and do what the Lord wants you to do, then the Lord will forgive you of your sins and you'll be saved from the certain doom. You see, Jeremiah is not just all blood and guts. It was a message that he preached, but most everyone, in fact, everyone, they rejected Jeremiah. They were either delusional or they were in denial or they were saying it was gonna delay or some were just merely defiant. We will not believe the word of God. And so they all ended up crushed and all that horrible stuff came to pass. But the the thing is, had they repented and said, okay, we'll follow God's plan and God's way. God was quick. He's quick in the Bible to forgive our sins. And so, so some people, even if they would just look at what Jeremiah really was teaching, <clears throat> there was a delightful part. And that is, man, the Lord loves people and wants to save them. You know, in, in that second Peter that I read earlier, when I was talking about the destruction of the, of the world, one of those passages right after what I just read, it says, and the Lord, he would, the reason he's not, he's not slack or lazy concerning the promise of his coming, as some people count laziness or slackness, but he's long suffering to us word, not willing that any of us should perish, but that we should all come to repentance. The Bible says, yeah, God's gonna judge this Christ rejecting sinful world. The tribulation period is coming. It's gonna be horrific. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 24, that all the bad things that have happened in times past are nothing compared to what's gonna happen in the tribulation period. Even this horrible story of Jeremiah, it's gonna be like child's play. But the Lord loves you so much that he provided the way, the truth, the life of the plan of salvation. And for the person who knows that we're going to heaven, that we're forgiven of our sins, we delight in these stories. We delight in the word of God. Rather than hearing the word of God and going, man, I'm totally toast. Instead, we say, man, I'm totally forgiven and I have the hope of heaven and things are only gonna get better. This time in this life is the worst it's gonna get, but we have the glory of all eternity to be with the Lord. And so it delights us. Some of us, we, those of us that believe, we say, man, I'm so glad I'm saved by the grace of God and the forgiveness. All the wrath and all that judgment stuff that I've been talking about, that's the black backdrop that makes the beauty of the gospel message sparkle that much more. And I hope that all of you can say, I know the Lord and I'm a, I'm a forgiven sinner, saved by the grace of God. How are you saved? Do I have to carry a Bible and go to church every Sunday and give money to the church? No, none of that makes you a Christian. A Christian is someone who acknowledges their sin before God and says, I'm a sinner and I have failed the Lord. And his word, it, it convicts me of my sin. I know that I'm a sinner. But then you confess you're a sinner and then say, Lord, I believe the work that you did. See, God became a man, Jesus, lived among us, sinless life, died on the cross for the sins of the world. Instead of you paying the penalty like these people had to do in Jeremiah, his day, um, you and I, the penalty would be paid by Jesus on the cross so that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us in our place, substitutionarily. So that it says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10, if if anyone will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him over the dead, you will be saved. So you might even just be one of those hardcore atheists who's been denying, even though you sense that tap on your shoulder by the Holy Spirit that says, God is true. God does exist. And you're just trying to say that he doesn't because all this stuff in the Bible makes you uncomfortable. 
And you can either react to that and plug your ears and be in denial and even see the evidence of God and the prophecies being fulfilled all around us globally and just be in denial and even in some delusional behavior that we see in people. Or you can just simply admit and say, I see it, I believe in God, and I'm gonna have faith to believe in something that's pretty believable. Everything that the Lord says, and, and by that faith, the Bible says you're saved by his grace through faith, not of your works, not of yourselves. It's, it's, it's a gift of God. That's what the Lord says. So it's a gift. You can accept it or not. It's up to you. Brett, you're sounding like you're trying to twist my arm. I'm trying to lovingly nudge you to give up your defiance and your denial and your delusions and just believe in a true and living God. For those of you that are Christians, let's not get all caught up in the things of this world. Let's do what Jesus taught us to set our affections on things above and not on things of this earth. Would you bow your heads please as we kind of close with an attitude of worship and prayer. And if you're a Christian, maybe you could be in prayer right now. This is an important part of the service. Because I'd like to invite anyone who's either with us in building here or those online watching with us, um, that man, that you all can say beyond the shadow of it, I'm a Christian. I'm saved by God's grace through faith. That you can walk away from this time and know that the wrath that's gonna be poured out upon this world will not be for you. I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. It says, but we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's for anyone who will accept. So if that's you and you're saying, Brad, I wanna become a Christian. Okay, I've been not a believer long enough and the evidence is there and I do believe and maybe it's even a sense that the truth from the word that we're talking about is undeniable. Don't have a stubborn heart. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna accept Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a Christian and saved and forgiven. Like I said, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus, that he died, that he was buried and that he rose from the grave. And it says, you will be saved. If that's you, I'm not gonna call you out in front of people. I was asked last service by a nice lady who said, Brett, why are you say that? You're not gonna call people out. Aren't people boldly supposed to proclaim their faith and make a public declaration? And, and um, I think that you will be required to do that at some point in your existence, even if it's the day of God standing before his throne, you will be required to do that. But never does it say you're supposed to do that when you accept Christ right out of the gate. The greatest fear of humanity is to stand in front of a crowd of people and, and I, I, that's not really required. There was a lot of people that got saved in the Bible that didn't walk in front of a Billy Graham crusade. Some people just quietly in their house, like the Philippian jailer got saved and he and his children found a river and they went and got baptized and it was quite secret. But then later on, their faith was bold. Don't, don't try to put heavy things on people and weird things. Some churches say, you gotta do this, and you gotta do that and you gotta sign up for our membership and go to church every Sunday. No. If there was more to do, don't you think they would have add, added those lists of things to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, run three laps around the church building and give your tithes and offerings every Sunday. No, it doesn't say anything about that, about salvation. It's a gift, it's, it's, it's a gift of God. It's there for the taking. So if that's you, I am not gonna embarrass you, make you stand up in front of everybody, but with everybody's heads bowed right now, if that's you, would you just acknowledge between you, me and God and say, yep, I'm gonna accept Christ. I'm gonna confess right now my faith in Jesus. And if you're here, just raise your hand up so I can see you. I'm gonna look around for a second. Awesome. You guys there, I see you, good. Good, good. You over there, good. If you're online and you're watching, um, you're probably, I wanna raise my hand, but you can't see me. Well, the Lord sees you, that's the good news. And you can sort of let me know if you wanna, there's a little number on the bottom of the screen. If you text that, we won't keep that or you know, your number or anything, but I'll know you're out there. Just say, text new believer. And I'll know, wow, there's somebody out there who's accepting Christ in that group. And what I'd like to do is pray the prayer of confession of faith. And I'm gonna ask the whole church, if you're a Christian, let's pray this out loud with these several people today and just confess our faith with them. It's so cool to stand with these new believers and let's, let's just confess Christ. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you 
Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, what a joy it is to see people who just recognize their need as we, so many of us have, Lord, just to have our sins forgiven. Would you wrap your arms around each one of these people who've just confessed their faith and may they sense the power of your forgiveness and that your mercy is good and true and that your grace is sufficient. May they know that they're forgiven, past, present, even the sins they've yet to do. Lord, none of us are perfect, but we're so thankful that you tell us you died once for all sin on the cross. Now help them, Lord. I pray that you'd lead them to good, solid believers who can encourage their, their faith and their walk with you. Lord, I pray that they'd be plugged into a good, solid church that would encourage their faith and teach the Bible. Bless them, Lord, I pray. And for all of us, give us just a renewed desire to know the truth. Help us not to be sucked into the world's opinion of what the truth is, because Lord, we saw so much that's not true and calling good evil and evil being called good. And, and, and Lord, we just pray that we wouldn't get sucked into that. So bless your church, give us faith, help us to walk with you with a greater zeal and a joy in our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name.